Good morning. It's so good to be with you all today. Uh, I have um, I have been acquainted with this church quite a wh- quite a while. Uh, I uh, my wife and I were talking this morning. By the way, I have my wife Sarah with me. Back back when I was work- with the uh, promotional office, she didn't get to travel with me much. But uh, as you have just heard, uh, back at the end of the year, I I retired from the promotional office, and we. We're trying to get used to this uh, re- retirement thing and um, moved to Murfreesboro to be near the grandkids, at least two of them, half of them. The other ones live in East Tennessee. But uh, I remember so well this church back in the early 70s. Uh, I believe A.J. Looper was the pastor at that particular time. I believe you had a song leader that looked a whole lot different than Cecil, a guy named Elmer something, I don't remember. Y'all remember Elmer, anybody? He was kind of hard to forget. He was a tremendous song leader. And uh, and the music's changed. Elmer, uh, I know there was a lot of music out of the Stamps, Baxter, Hymnal, and that sort of thing. And and my wife reminded me this morning that I'm old, you know, I'm old. Uh, in January, the Lord called me to preach 50 years ago, and and uh, so it's uh, it seems like yesterday to me, uh, but uh, I know it. Uh, uh, you all are probably thinking, well, when is that old man going to hurry up and preach? <laughs> you know, but uh, thank you for inviting me down, Cecil, and uh, I hear Brother Seth is doing a wonderful job, and I I hope you'll. Uh, uh, work with him, and and uh, I know uh, I've always believed this church has uh, more potential than almost any church in the state. And in fact, I don't know any church in the state of Tennessee that has more potential than this one. And it's great to see all these young folks here today. And and so uh, God bless you, and I hope you continue well. Uh, now I want you to know I'm not near as old as El- as uh, Albert Harris. Now, I, Albert Harris's son and I go back a few years, back about 50 years. Uh, Roy and I uh, started out in high school. We met in high school, and and uh, so I've known the the Harrises quite a while. Turning your Bible this morning to the book of Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. Now I. I know you know right where that is in the Bible. If you're having trouble finding it, it's right between Nahum and Zephaniah. (laughs) Would that help you any? It's actually towards the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk is one of those guys we call a minor prophet. Now, you know the Bible, uh, we we, uh, Bible teachers uh, sort of break the Bible up into, you know, history and poetry and major prophets and minor prophets. all of the Bible is good. Uh, all of it's just as good as one section is good as the other. Uh, but the minor prophets are called minor prophets because of the length of the books. And Habakkuk is just a very short book, about three chapters. Uh, it's not like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, who would be considered major prophets. But the Lord has burned a, a message on my heart in recent days because of all that's going on. In this world, does it seem to you like the whole world is 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 gone crazy? Does it seem like it's just 
you're wondering, Lord, what in the world is going on? And if you're like me, you're saying, Lord, why don't you do something to fix it? Well, before the end of this message, I hope you'll see that that's exactly the way Habakkuk felt in his day. And he lived probably 700 years or so before Jesus was born. So things have been kind of chaotic in the world for a while. So don't think that this is a new thing on God because God's got it all under control. But let me just give you a little bit of gist of things here with Habakkuk before I read my text. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Um, the context is that Israel and Judah, you remember Israel, the nation of Israel was broken into uh, two different, uh, 12 tribes actually, but uh, 10 of the tribes went, went bad way early. And then Judah went bad later. But it seems like there was a cycle uh, with the nation of Israel. God would bless them and, and just pour out his blessing on them. They would get comfortable with things and then they would go to sinning. They would often go into idol worship. And so God would send judgment on them. Well, after they experienced the discipline of God for a while, then they would repent and then they'd bring on God's blessings again. But it wasn't long. They'd be drifting back into idolatry. And that was a cycle in the whole uh, Old Testament, if you, if you ever uh, take, take up and read uh, the, the whole Old Testament. Well, Habakkuk came along about the time of the good king Josiah. And I won't go into all the details, but just to kind of give you a space in history where we are here. Uh, Josiah was a, a good king, and he had some real good reforms, and God was blessing Judah. He was particularly in, uh, to, towards Judah. And, but be, things were beginning to get slack again. That old cycle kicked in. Now, that may be the way some of you live. You get red hot for the Lord for a while, and then you get complacent, and you quit reading your Bible. You kind of hit church hit and miss uh, you, you, you're not consistent in your testimony or your giving you know that may be that's the way a lot of Christians and a lot of church members live by the way but anyway getting back to Judah they were beginning to drift further and further away from God again and Habakkuk the book of Habakkuk is really a dialogue between a prophet and God. And, and if you'll understand that, it'll help you understand Habakkuk. Only three chapters. But basically, the way that the, the book of Habakkuk goes is Habakkuk pours out his complaint to God about how things are bad. And then God answers him. And then Habakkuk comes back. And Habakkuk doesn't always like God's answers. And so let keep that in mind is I try to I hope it'll all come together by the end of the sermon but let me begin reading in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see 
Now this is Habakkuk talking to God. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are those that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Do you see what Habakkuk is telling God? He's saying, Lord, where are you? Don't you see all the violence? Don't you see all the chaos? Don't you see what's going on? And then in verse 5, God begins to answer him back. He says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. Those that was the Babylonians, by the way. Uh, Chaldeans and Babylonians, same thing. For lo, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which thou shalt march through the, which shall march through the breadth of the land, to process, uh, to possess the dwelling places that are not. Theirs. And then he goes on to give a description of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. They were wicked folks. They were ruthless. They were, they were wicked. And so here is Habakkuk's dilemma. Habakkuk is telling God how bad Israel has been and he needs them to do something. And, Habakkuk, and God says, Habakkuk, I am doing something. I am going to do it. You're not going to believe it, and you're not going to like it. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans to punish you. Now, that was Habakkuk's dilemma. He, he's saying, Lord, the, the Chaldeans are more wicked than us, and, and you're going to use somebody more wicked than us to, to punish us, to discipline us? Habakkuk just did not understand God's response. But before the end of the book, we find that Habakkuk does understand because God says, I'm going to take care of the Chaldeans too, but I'm going to use them first to take care of the, of the Israelites. Would you bow in, here in prayer with me for a moment? Father, I thank you for your peace. I thank you, Lord, that, you, that we know that you are at work in the world. We know, Lord, this pandemic that we are in has not caught you by surprise. And we know, Lord, that you know what's happening in this country. You know how divided we are. You know how wicked America has become. You know, Lord, how the church is often conforming to the world just like those wicked people around us, we're, we're, we're just kind of going along with them sometimes. And Lord, sometimes we wonder why you don't do something. But God, help us to understand through the prophet that lived so many hundreds of years ago. Help us to get a glimpse of this book 
and understand that you're at work even when we don't see you at work. You, you're doing something even when we don't maybe even agree with what you're doing. Lord, I pray today if there's someone here in a state of confusion, I pray, Lord, that you would help every person here today to understand that the child of God does not need to fret and worry. Uh, the child of God who's living for you, uh, everything's going to be all right. Just help us, Lord, not to get weary in our well-doing. Help us to just be patient and wait on you to take care of things. Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus as their Savior, maybe, maybe they see these turbulent times and they're worried. Lord, I pray today that, that uh, each person in that boat would consider Jesus today, consider God, and turn to him before it's everlasting too late. God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There have been many times in my life when I didn't understand what God was doing. And I'll be honest with you, there have been many times in my life when I've questioned God. You might be thinking, well, preacher, you ought not be questioning God. Well, listen, God can handle our questions, okay? It, God knows our frame. He knows our very thoughts. He knows what we're thinking even before we say it. And I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my life when I was confused. I remember starting out very young. Now, I was always raised in a Christian home. I've been taught about Jesus from my mother's knee. I've been in church every, every Sunday of, of my life and practically every Sunday night and Wednesday night all of my life as well. So I, I know all about God, but I remember some times in my life when I just didn't understand what God was doing or why God allowed some, some things to happen. It started out in the second grade. I was seven years old, and... Uh, I came to school one day, I went, lived in a little town in South Carolina, you probably never heard the, the name of it, but it's, uh, it's Pamplico, South Carolina. Pamplico was not at the end of the world, but you could see the end of the world from there, okay? And as a, as a young lad of seven years old, I went to school one day and I could tell something was going on. You know, kids can tell things. They know if something's not right in your home. You moms and dads, you're fussing and fighting in your home, and you think your kids are oblivious to it. Hey, they're not. Those kids know what's going on. And we went to school that day. I was in Mrs. Finkley's class. She was a, a little dried-up lady, and she was mean as she could be. And uh, I just remember that. But anyway, no, no mean school teachers in here, I hope. But uh, I remember going to class that day, and there was just sort of a hush in the school, a quietness. And when the bell rang and we opened our homeroom uh, to get started, Miss Finkley said, boys and girls, I've got something very sad I have to tell you this morning. She said, uh, one of your classmates, Cynthia Turner, was killed yesterday. Cynthia Turner was a uh, Little blue-eyed, uh, blonde-headed little girl, seven years old, sweet as she could be. Her, her parents were connected with the same church that I was connected with. And it seems that what had happened is her older brother had, was 
you know, they lived out in the country. It was not unusual at all for, for them to have guns in the house and the teenage boys would go rabbit hunting and so forth with a, with a 22 rifle and stuff. Well, anyway, one of her brothers was cleaning that gun. He thought it was unloaded and it was not unloaded and it shot her and that's not a particularly powerful gun but it, it uh, went into, I'm not sure if it went in her head or where, but anyway, it killed her. And boy, I began to think, Lord, what, how could you let this happen? That little girl hadn't done anything. You know, that's kind of, kind of an age-old question, isn't it? Why, God, why does God allow suffering? You know, a lot of people uh, always pull that on me. Why does God allow suffering? And I don't always have the answers, but I remember as a seven-year-old, just didn't make any sense to me, and I, I wondered about why God let that happen. Well, a few years later, I, I was in the fifth grade, and I had a teacher by the name of Miss Everose Gaskins. Now, I, I remember her so well because I had a crush on Miss Gaskins. She was fresh out of college. She was pretty. And I'm telling you, I was 12 years old, I believe. I was just beginning to notice girls. And I remember Miss Everose Gaskins. I was sitting in that class one day, and all of a sudden, the, what we called it the loudspeaker, the intercom system in the school, when they had a message from the office to, to transmit to the classrooms, it would come over the intercom, and all of a sudden, we heard something like a radio come over the intercom system. We thought they had just accidentally hit the button in the office and it was going all over the school, but that wasn't what was happening. We began to listen to the broadcast or the telecast or whatever they were had plugged in. And it seems that a guy down in Dallas, Texas had shot and killed our president, John F. Kennedy. That was sometime around 1959 or 60, something like that. No, no, that was in 1963, excuse me, November the 22nd, 1963. And, you know, it didn't matter back in those days whether your president was a Republican or a Democrat. He was our president. And we respected the office of president, the presidency. And some lunatic had got up in a building and shot my president and killed him. Now, I was only 12 years old. But I remember thinking, Lord, what's going on? How, how could you let this happen that my president has, has gotten shot? And, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand it. It seemed to me like things were spinning out of control. Well, a few years later, I'd grown up, got married, pastoring a church over in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And uh, I remember the morning of January 28, 1986, I was sitting in my living room in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. Um, 36 years ago, if you're under 36, you don't remember this. But, but that particular launch was historic. I mean, they were sending school teachers, a couple of school teachers up into outer space. 
in the space program. And to make a long story short, 73 seconds up in the air, and that space shuttle just blows to kingdom come. And, of course, all those astronauts and the school teacher, Christy McAuliffe, died instantly. I don't even know if they came found any pieces of them. And I wondered, Lord, what in this world is going on? What in the world is going on? A few years later, this was 2001, I was preaching a revival in Albany, Georgia. Now down there, they pronounce it Albany, but it was Albany, Georgia. And we were, I was preaching a revival for First Free Will Baptist Church of Albany. The pastor was uh, Reverend Billy Hanna. And uh, we were sitting uh, right after breakfast, just sort of, you know, fellowshipping, mapping out our day. And, and we saw on television an airplane fly into the World Trade, one of the towers in the World Trade Center in, in New York. And everybody glued their eyes to the TV and what happened was phenomenal. They, they were talking about, well, evidently some pilot has got off course. Evidently somebody has miscalculated and a terrible tragedy has happened. But then a few minutes later, 17 minutes later, another plane flew into the other tower. And America suddenly knew that this was not just an accident. This was an attack on the United States of America. And in just a few minutes, 2,971 people, unsuspecting people, died. And that began what we call the war on terror. And I, you know, I confess that a lot of things happen that I don't understand. A lot of things happen, and I, and I question God, and I say, Lord, why do you let evil happen like this? Why, do you, why does evil seem to triumph uh, against America? And even though I know America has its problems, uh, I, I do believe it is the hope of the world, and I, I believe freedom uh, that we espouse and, and promote. I, I believe it's the proper way to go, and then I wonder how God lets this happen to our country. The past few months, we have seen chaos. We've seen lawlessness. We've seen violence. We, we've, we've seen people looting and burning. Even in Nashville, they tried to burn down our courthouse. And I'm not condoning the things that happened that brought these things about. But what I am saying is I don't understand it sometimes. And I wonder, Lord, why don't you just fix all this? He could if he wanted to, couldn't he? Well, the only problem is God gives men free will. And he lets them do like they please. He'll bring them into judgment one day. But for right now, he, everybody's got free will. And if they want to try to burn down a courthouse, you know, God doesn't make them not do it, even though I suppose he could if he wanted to. Well, 
I'm, I'm getting to my text, by the way, so hang in there a few more minutes with me. My sermon's probably not going to be as long as this introduction, okay? Two years ago, I think two years ago, my wife and I were privileged to, to go with some friends to Alaska on a cruise, and we got back to Seattle on the boat, and we rented a car. My wife and I are on this quest. We want to visit all 50 states before we die. And we're on 40-something now, and, and uh, we wanted to, to go to Oregon because we'd never been to Oregon. So we talked our friends into, uh, let's take in a few days and go down to Portland, Oregon. And beautiful place, beautiful scenery. We saw Mount Hood from a distance. We saw, we saw uh, uh, a lot of beautiful scenery And we got into Portland, Oregon, and it's a beautiful place, beautiful place. We were were downtown uh, in a park. There's a little square downtown that had little craft shows and different things, a relaxing place. And and my wife saw this big sign that said restrooms. And, you know, when you get our age, and I'm not trying to be crass or undignified or anything, but when you get our age, age we, we operate under the motto never pass the opportunity to go to the bathroom you know <laughs> my wife got the shock of her life she went to the restroom and and it had a plaque on the door that said portland oregon we are pleased that we're a progressive city and we have we have uh, neutra- gender neutral bathrooms in other words, a, a man, a woman, a transsexual, whatever you are, you, you're welcome to use our restrooms. It, boy, isn't that weird? What's really weird is when Sarah walked in and there was an armed go- guard in the restroom. How stupid have we become? I ask you, why does God even put up with us? Why does God let all this happen? Well, I don't know. But one of these days, God's going to straighten all that out. One of these days, God's going to straighten that out. Now, if you don't get anything else from this sermon, I want, here's, here's what I want you to take away from this sermon. If we can relate to these various scenarios that I've mentioned, you know, my little seven-year-old schoolmate getting uh, killed, my president getting killed, uh, the New York Tower bombings and, I mean, planes crashing into the World Trade Center, all these things. If you you can kind of connect with all of that, my premise this morning is that we may not know it, but God is doing something. We just don't know what it is, and we've got to trust God that he's going to bring it all okay for us who know him. Now, there's not much hope for people who don't know God, but for those of us who do know God, we do not need to wring our hands. We do not need to, uh, to just uh, spend sleepless nights. We do not even need to fear this coronavirus that's going on right now not we, we need to respect it for sure it's real my wife's brother right now is in a hospital in in uh, Florida 
because he has caught the coronavirus and he has blood clots in his lungs and it could be very serious. He's overweight, he's about 70 years old, he's a high-risk category. So we respect it, but we don't need to just be so fearful. Now, let's get to Habakkuk in the next few minutes. And I know it's 10 minutes to 11, and I'll bet you guys are counting on getting out at 11, right? Something like that. Well, you listen real good, and I'll try to get done by then. Notice, first of all, uh, notice Habakkuk's dilemma. Um, notice Habakkuk's dilemma. Um, by the way, um, uh, H- Howard Hendricks called Habakkuk the man with a question mark for a brain. He, Habakkuk wondered, well, what in the world is going on? Well, in verse 2, Habakkuk, we see Habakkuk's dilemma. He said, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? See, you see his dilemma? He, he was in distress. Habakkuk loved his nation. He loved God. But when he saw how wicked they had become and how violence and spoiling was everywhere, Habakkuk said, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? And, and then Habakkuk had his doubts in verse 3. He said, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold all this grievance? He had his doubts. He was in despair. He said, spoiling and violence are before me. He felt a sense of hopelessness in verse 4. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Do you see that? Habakkuk felt like God had abandoned his people already. Let me tell you something, folks. As people of God, don't we always, don't we all feel these emotions at times? Distress, worry, maybe even like God's lost control. We live in a world that's torn by war and crime and corruption and perversion and pedophiles and pornography just to name a few of our ills here in America and we wonder is there any hope a couple years ago I received a letter from Steve Riggs our missionary in France you all know Steve his son of Raymond Riggs and um, Steve um, ministers in a place in France called Chateaubriand. It's sort of an isolated area of France. And Steve wrote in this letter, and I won't read you the whole letter, but he, he says that often he feels very much in despair. He says most French people believe that anybody that leans on religion, leans on God, they're, they're just... Uh, uh, they're just a little bit lunatic. I mean, he says that's the way the French people feel about Christians. And he says, we've been working in France all these years, and sometimes we wonder, is it just hopeless? 
sometimes we wonder, are we doing, are we making any difference at all? I remember many times over the last 50 years, and I wondered that same thing. Lord, are we, am I making any difference at all in my life? But you know, that was Habakkuk's dilemma. And it's been the dilemma of many, many Christians over the years. But I want you to notice what God told Habakkuk. In verse 5, he said, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it will told you. I'll raise up the Chaldeans. Wow, that's not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. I'll raise up the Chaldeans. You remember when Jonah went down to Nineveh and God saved the city? That's not even what Jonah wanted to hear. Even though he preached to them to repent, he was sad that they did repent. He was hoping God would just go ahead and destroy them. God said, I am going, I am doing a work in your days. Let me tell you something, and you listen to this. God is at work even when we don't see what he's doing. Listen, I, I can go back in my own life and see times in my life when I was disappointed at things that happened. But years later, God revealed how smart he was in doing what he did. The Chaldeans were wicked people indeed, and God would handle them later on, and God did handle them later on. But for right now, God says, you just stand back and watch. Now, let me just try to give you some points to take home with you. Practical applications of this chapter here. Uh, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. And we all thought this pandemic was going to end by the summertime, didn't we? I did. It started when? About March or so, February, March. And <coughs> we thought, well, this virus will, you know, it'll, it'll pass when summertime gets here. Even, even President uh, Trump said, oh, it's going to burn off when it gets a little warmer weather. Um, and uh, it didn't. And, and it almost seems like it. We're getting a second wave here, uh, here, here lately. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this. We don't always see the whole picture. We, we don't always know what God is up to. Our job is just to keep trusting God. We walk by faith, not by sight. Far too many of us see, our, see only our lives and our little part of the world. Do you know God is the God of the Russians and the Chinese and the Indians? God is the God of America for sure, but God is, God is our God for sure. <clears throat> but God's got the whole world in his hands to deal with. And God loves the whole world. Do you know that? Even people we don't love, God loves them anyway. And he wants to redeem them. God is bigger than we are. 
But the key verse in Habakkuk is in chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So what are we supposed to do when we don't understand what God is doing? We just keep trusting God and living by faith. That, that's all we can do, isn't it? When we don't understand what God is doing, we, do, did anybody ever, ever see the movie on, uh, on TV or, or even at the theater called Rudy? You remember that movie, Rudy? It's about this kid that wanted to go to Notre Dame and play. And, and uh, it looked like it, it was against all hope. And, and Rudy went to uh, uh, the Catholic priest there at Notre Dame and poured out his soul to him. And, uh, you know, Rudy was disappointed in God that he didn't make, that he, that he hadn't got to play for Notre Dame. And he was just sure he was going to play for Notre Dame. And the old priest gave him some wise, wise words. He said, priest, he said, Father, do you think that I'll ever get to pl play? And the priest said, Son, there's two things I know for sure. He said, Number one, there is a God. And number two, I'm not him. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't know what God's doing. But I do know there is a God. And we're not him. And God does things in his own time, in his own way. But the just have to live by our faith. Just keep on doing what's right. Keep on going to church. Keep on reading your Bible. Keep on trusting that things are going to get better. And keep on believing that you know that God has this thing under control. I hope this today will give you some sort of peace in this confusing time that we're living in right now. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're unchanging. You're omnipotent. You're all-knowing. You're everywhere present. And nothing escapes your eye. Lord, we confess we don't know what you're doing right now in, in the world with this pandemic. We don't understand it at all. We, we wish you'd do something. We pray that you'd do something. We believe you're going to do something. But Lord, help us until you do to just keep living by faith. Lord, if there's someone here today who has um, never put their trust in you, I pray that you'd convince them in their heart through your Holy Spirit that our only hope is God. Our hope is not in the next election. We don't hope in the Democratic Party. We do not hope in the Republican Party. We do, we do not hope in ourselves. Lord, we, our hope is in you, and I pray that you would firmly, firmly, Lord, help us to live out our faith. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.